the Gospel of John and chapter 20, and we'll start reading with verse 19. Now remember that we have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter morning. And now we are at the third Sunday in Easter as far as the church calendar runs. And so we're still looking at different uh, stories of different eyewitness accounts of Jesus' appearing. And so I want to pick up with another one here uh, this morning in John 20. Notice here, starting with verse 19, uh, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hear these words. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. Your Word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword that can pierce not flesh and blood, but instead the very depths of our soul the very center of our person, the marrow of who we are. Lord, Your Word pierces deep. May it happen this morning. May You wound us in a way that heals us. May You cut us off from the sin that withholds us from loving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In C.S. Lewis's famous book, Mere Christianity, which has become for me um, one of the most worn out of my books that I return to over and over again because it summarizes so well the Scriptures. And he speaks in such a way that is beyond his time. And of course, his passing... Uh, reminds me of today the fact that Christians all over the United States in particular are mourning also Chuck Colson's passing, Charles Colson. You'll remember him as called the hammer of the Nixon campaign back in the day. And he got caught up, of course, with the Watergate scandal, went to prison for that, and was converted in prison, and then started his own prison ministry um, and had a great impact, and he died yesterday. Um, And so we'll mourn uh, his apologetic writings because he was a defender of the faith. And as hard-nosed as he was about politics beforehand, he became that hard-nosed for Christ. Amazing man. If you ever see his books around, get them. Charles Colson. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity, on on, on the chapter called Forgiveness. 
he identifies that really forgiveness of all the Christian virtues is the most unpopular one. <laughs> you know, there are some popular you know, virtues that we all like and, and so on and so forth. And he also says, you know, everyone says they like forgiveness until they have to forgive. You know, forgiveness is a great thing. It's a blessing. It's very helpful. It's the only way to work through some situations. And yet, when it comes down to it, for us, for me, when someone wrongs me, forgiveness becomes very unpopular. Becomes very difficult. And we become, most of the times, very belligerent concerning it. Very angry about it. Very guarded and covered He did this to me, or she did that to me. And we don't want to give it as we have so freely received it. You know, your Christian life begins with forgiveness. (laughs) I want to be real simple this morning. It's nothing complicated, and yet it's something that we all need to be reminded of. And the first person that I point to when I point out here to you, is I've got three fingers at least pointing back to me in order to remind myself that I too need this message more than any. You see, Jesus here in the Gospel of John, which John gives a very unique account of His eyewitness of Jesus and His life. And this is a very unique thing. Jesus comes among them and says, Peace be with you. And he says it again. I say again, peace be with you. Now he's not holding up the peace sign and you know has all of a sudden changed clothes into the hippie thing. He hasn't done that. What he's offering to them is a peace like what we just read in our scripture readings. A peace where in the Psalm four, as it says, you can go to sleep at night and live and sleep in true peace, not worrying about this or that but instead fall asleep into a deep sleep. A deep rest of the soul. Not just physical, but where you are at peace. And He offers them this peace, who ultimately, this peace only comes from Him, and He says this to them. He says, as the Father has sent Me, so now I'm sending you. So just as the Father has sent Me, that's how I'm going to send you. And then notice what He does. He breathes on them, which, as you know, the term in the Old Testament for spirit is ruach, which is a term that can mean breath, wind, spirit. In other words, when God breathes life into Adam, when He creates the first man, whom is the father of us all, biologically... He breathes within Him, and that breath is the Spirit. As I've said before here, and you know very well about my theological position, is we run off the Spirit of God. That is what we are fueled by. You're not fueled by your passion for your work, or some kind of just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, or kind of buttoning it up and going after it. Hard note, no, it's the Spirit that fuels us. And if you're on empty, then you are empty in your life of the Spirit. You need God's breath in your life. You need to be resuscitated. You know that term, redeemed? And the only way is to, again, 
do the pumps, but also breathe that life into you. God can breathe that life into you. That life being the Spirit. You see, God is life. Life is not a third, you know, sorry, not a fourth component to the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit is life. If you want true life, receive God's Spirit. And so He breathes on them and they receive, and He says this, receive the Holy Spirit. Notice this clause grammatically. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, just think about this real quick. Pentecost hasn't happened. So it's a good time for this message because Pentecost hasn't happened. We're still a few weeks away. We're on week three. We've got to get to week seven. Before Pentecost happens, we have 50 days, which is where the term Pente comes from. 50. Before we truly can celebrate the Holy Spirit's arrival in a powerful way to all people. But even before His official arrival of the Holy Spirit, He breathes with on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then says this, immediately after receiving the Holy Spirit, He says, Forgive people. It's just as simple as that. In other words, the Holy Spirit and His coming to your life means that you now have the power to forgive. And that's why I say here as we begin that the Christian life itself begins with forgiveness. If you have the Spirit of God in you, which as John has told us in 1 John, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have God. If you have the Holy Spirit, then that means you have the power to forgive people. You know, I teach world religions and I'm by no means an expert. But one thing that I've noticed as I've gone systematically through the world's religions and through their different writings and through their different philosophies and what they emphasize, no religion in the world emphasizes forgiveness except for Christianity. You can look it up. You can go read it. There's not one religion. It's not Islam. It's not Judaism. It's not Jainism. It's not Sikhism. It's Christianity. It's the only religion that says forgiveness is for all people including your enemies. This new life in Christ only begins once Jesus Himself, by His blood, forgives you of your sins. Which means, of course, that we must understand that we are debtors. It's a tough place to come to. It's a sobering fact of reality. But every one of us, and you look nice out there, you look... You don't look like a murderer. You don't look like someone who should be on death row. But let me tell you something. I can tell you right now without even knowing all your sins that there's been things in your life that you've done that deserve death according to God. You have hurt people. You have betrayed people. You have lied to people. You have despitefully used people. 
Now, we like to always remember what has happened to us, but we don't like to remember what we've done to others. One of the hardest things for me growing up in the church was coming to a place where I saw myself as in debt to God. I was so prideful and so stuck on myself and self-absorbed that I thought God owed me for all the years I had stayed pure sexually. For all the years that I had not gone the way of the crowd. For all the years that I had not used God's name in vain. For all the years of service for Him. I thought God owed me and I had to come to a rude awakening when I was 17 years old that I was so indebted to God that I actually deserved to go to hell forever because of my secret sins that no one else knew about. Hatred in my heart for people who were better off than me and yet lived a wicked life. All kinds of darkness that crept around in my life and I allowed to stay there. You must repent of your sins. And in order to repent, you must confess. You must confess that you deserve to go to a devil's hell that was preserved and still is an option today for you and for anyone else who wants to trust in themselves. You see, I trusted in myself, not in Jesus Christ. And I came to a point at 17 when I had done my best to trust in God, but I had to fully rest in Him. Entirely give my life to Him. And it happened the next week. It wasn't in that moment of that night that I came to realize it. It took a week. And what a glorious night it was. You see, the first act of love is forgiveness. <laughs> this is why Jesus, when he, when he gets on the cross, the first thing He says, remember we went over it during Lent, the first thing He says is, Father, forgive them. Because the first act of love, or maybe you could say it this way, the chief act of love is forgiveness. Why? Because relationships will not function in a broken world without forgiveness. You will find yourself alone if you are unwilling to forgive. Because no one is perfect No one has reached the zenith of the perfect Christian life. Everyone will fail you at some point. And if you are unwilling to forgive, you will only find yourself. And hell is a place of unforgiveness. It's a field with people who were unwilling to forgive. That's who populates it. Why? Because ultimately, if you are unwilling to forgive, that means you have shut God out. You have guarded your heart in such a way that God cannot forgive you. Now that's a sobering thought. That's a terrifying thought. 
But it's exactly what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking and He says, let me teach you how to pray. (laughs) Which we just recited. And what do you say in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive me as I forgive others their trespasses. And then after He says that prayer, the model prayer in Matthew 6, right after it, He re-emphasizes and says, guys, I'm serious. If you do not forgive other people their transgressions against you, you won't be forgiven. God can't forgive. It's not that He doesn't want to. God wants to forgive all people. But your heart will not receive it because you have hatred in it for your brother. We don't do it because we like the person. We don't do it because we like what they've done to us. And it's not excusing what they've done to us. Instead, it is an act of love. It's an act that we do out of obedience. Not because we feel like it. If you've been in love with somebody for over five years, over one year even, you realize very quickly that love is not something that you always feel like doing. This is why our divorce rate is astronomical in America is because everybody is trying to feel love. And love is not something that you go seeking to feel. Only when you're in love with somebody can the feelings be real, be intense. And what you learn is there's much more to love than feeling. Just like if you're a football fan or a baseball fan, there's much more than just that first game you go to. There's a deeper meaning to the game. I always use the illustration of driving. The first time you drive, man, I mean, you long for 15 or 16 years to drive, which means freedom for you. And you like it so much initially that you literally on Friday night just drive around in your car just to drive because it's so fun and it feels so great. But I dare say if you get in your 30s like I am, about to be 31 in five days. Well, I don't take a... uh, Well, four days, sorry. 26. Uh, The 27th is not my birthday. Yeah, four days, sorry. Four, five, six. It's a 26. Um, I'll be 31. I I don't sit there and on Friday night say, Jessica, I'm going to take a cruise and drop my windows and listen to some music and just ride around for three hours. Waste gas. Because the feeling of newness is gone. But does that not mean that, does that mean I'll never get to enjoy driving again? Oh, people just have to judge through marriage. You'll never have that feeling of love again. No. It means that now when I take a long drive and I am by myself, I shut off the radio. 
I prayerfully meet God in my car because I found that it's not the just sensation of getting away or driving in my car, listening, but this has become a holy time for me. I found a new significance, a deeper meaning in something as simple as driving. Now, how much more can we find it in marriage? Something that God has ordained, something that God has said is sacred. How much more in family? How much more in raising children? How much more in working? First job, woohoo! Second job, or after 30 years of working somewhere, you don't have the same feeling. That's because we don't not go upon feeling. Feelings come and go. Love lasts forever. <laughs> this is why we forgive. is because we are called to love one another. We don't forgive on the basis of that person. My goodness. None of us would ever forgive if it was based on the person. I'm not worthy of forgiveness. I'm not worthy of Jessica's forgiveness. And yet, she has forgiven me in my life. And I won't forget that. It means she really does love me and is faithful to me till death do us part. Forgiveness is something that is not able to be received unless we are willing to give it. Period. This message this morning is as simple as that. If you hold unforgiveness in your heart against another person, you can't be forgiven. You can't be forgiven. This is not my words. This is not my doctrine. This is not something I made up just to make the Christian life hard. This is something that Jesus has told us about ourself. God wants to forgive everyone. But everyone is not willing to be soft enough to receive His mercy. His grace only comes to those who, as David says in Psalm 51, which is a psalm of contrition, repentance, confession, he says, Lord, you don't even care about sacrifices. But instead, you care about a broken and crushed heart. Those, oh Lord, you won't despise. Have you come to a place where you have been broken by God? Crushed by, pierced by His Word? His instructions that you have chosen to disobey, that you have cast to the side, walked upon as if it was dirt, gone your own way in this world. I'm describing my own life. You must come to that place where you know you are a sinner, deserving of hell. And the evil one will whisper, you don't deserve hell. What kind of God would do that? You're good. You're fine. Don't listen to that. Be gone, Satan. 
receive the Word of God this morning. Because you will not be forgiven unless you forgive. Notice what Jesus says, this this statement. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He does this several times, Jesus does. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That term, as. He says, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Luke 6, 36. And then He says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. They're interconnected. You can't do one without the other. In other words, you can't love without Jesus. You can't be merciful without God's mercy. You can't forgive without God's forgiveness. So first you must confess your sins, be forgiven, and then you can forgive others. Then you'll know what it's like to be in someone's debt because I'm forever not only in Jessica's debt and other people's debt, but I'm in God's debt most of all. I owe Him my very life. I may owe Jessica some dishes. Or some time with the kids. But I owe God my life. We are to imitate God as dear children. And sometimes, as you know, becoming an adult, and I feel like I'm still becoming an adult, that when you walk into a new job, or you walk into a new situation, or you walk into marriage, or you walk into parenthood, or you walk into old age... None of us are experts, but we have to act like we are in certain situations. Just like my children try to act like me. They say the same things I do. And some things that they say, I have to correct them on because they have no idea what they're talking about. But they say it because Daddy said it. They walk in my shoes. And I have a big foot. Twelve. I'm a size twelve. And they put their little feet in there and try to walk around in it. And they can't do very well, but they're imitating me. And God says sometimes, especially with things like forgiveness and love, you just need to start imitating me. It's not going to fit at first. You're not going to be the expert at first. But you've got to walk in that room and you've got to take care of business. Imitate me, even if you're not good at it. Imitate me until you look like me. In other words, do your job as an engineer. Do your job as a pastor or a speaker or a teacher. Do that until you get good at it. Keep loving your wife until you get good at it. If you don't like it, keep doing it and you'll probably like it ten years from now. I used to hate to cut wood with Daddy. We used to go out and it would be on holidays. You know, We'd go for Christmas down to Mississippi. And he would take us out to work. And I'm thinking, I thought this was supposed to be our vacation. And we'd go out and work all day long, cutting wood, stacking it, splitting it, you know, so on and so forth. People getting poison ivy, being fearful of snakes, being cold, getting calluses. And now looking back, I love those times. I would love to be able to go back out and cut wood with Pop on our vacation. It'd be something enjoyable to me. 
to get away, work with my hands. Because so often I'm doing computer stuff, reading. I love it. Sometimes you have to do stuff until you like it. Forgiveness is one of those things. Start with the person next to you. Start with your spouse. Start with your family. Forgive there. If if forgiving that person at work or forgiving that person that hurt you 20 years ago is tough, start at home. Then work your way up. God understands this is a process. He's the one who's going to give you the power to do it. And He will. He can help you. That's the good news of Jesus. It's not your forgiveness that you're giving away. It's God's forgiveness. What do you you tell Him? Just as I... Just as my Father sent me, I'm now sending you as me. So I forgave people that hated me. And I'm God. I created every single person here. And they hated me and murdered me. Made fun of me. I forgave them. (laughs) So now you too forgive. It's not about us. It's not about Marshall Dagg. Me holding grudges or having some little black book. Oh yeah, Casey wronged me. What was it? Three weeks ago, so I'm not, I'm not going to lunch him anymore. No. It's not about keeping up wrongs. It's about choosing to love. Choosing something that's bigger than me. Beyond myself. <laughs> what an amazing gospel. It starts with forgiving the people around you. Live the new life that Jesus provides from the resurrection. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Let Him this morning breathe anew into your life an attitude of forgiveness. A heart that is understanding that He has forgiven you much so that you now can be forgiving much. If you are forgiven, then that means you are a forgiver. How about that? If you are forgiven, you are now, your occupation is at you are a forgiver. It's what you do. It's who we are. Let's all stand this morning.